Welcome to the Investigation Guru, where real-life PIs Sean and Dana bring you to the darker side of true crime investigations. Stories so horrific, it's hard to believe they actually happened. But truth is often darker than fiction. Real life can sometimes involve lies, betrayal, abduction, and even torture and death. These stories will take you on a journey through some of the world's darkest and most notorious true crime investigations. The Investigation Guru starts now. Here's Sean and Dana. Hello and welcome to The Investigation Guru. This is the official podcast for Red Door Investigations. My name is Sean and tonight we're going to be discussing the mysterious disappearance of Mara Murray. Mara disappeared on the evening of February 9th, 2004, after a car crash on Route 112 near Woodsville, New Hampshire. There are many mysterious events surrounding her disappearance, and her current whereabouts remain unknown. So, without further ado, I present to you the case of Mara Murray. Mara's early life. Mara was born on May 4th, 1982 in Hanson, Massachusetts, the fourth child of Fred and Laurie Murray. She had two brothers, an older brother Fred and a younger brother Kurt, and two sisters, Kathleen and Julie, both older. Her parents divorced when she was six, and Mara moved in with her mother after her parents split. She graduated from Whitman Hanson Regional High School, where she was a star athlete on the school's track team. An excellent student, she scored a 1420 on her SAT and was accepted to West Point, which is the United States Military Academy, where she studied chemical engineering for three semesters. She was released from West Point on an honor violation for stealing $5 worth of makeup. After her dismissal from West Point, she transferred to the University of Massachusetts Amherst to study nursing. Events prior to her disappearance. In November of 2003, three months before her disappearance, Mara admitted to using a stolen credit card to order food from several restaurants. This charge was dismissed after three months of good behavior. On Saturday, February 7, 2004, two days before her disappearance, Mara's father, Fred, arrived in Amherst to take Mara car shopping and later went to dinner with Mara and one of her friends. When they were done with dinner, Mara dropped her father off at his motel room and borrowed his Toyota Corolla to return to campus to attend a dorm party. She arrived at the party at 10.30 p.m. and left at 2.30 the following morning. At 3.30 that morning, one day before she disappeared, she struck a guardrail on Route 9 in Hadley, causing nearly $10,000 worth of damage to her father's car. No field sobriety test was conducted. So she went to that party and probably got drunk and started driving her dad's car, ran into a guardrail one day before she disappeared, and caused $10,000 worth of damage to his car. The cops didn't feel the need to do any kind of sobriety test. Interesting. The police drove Mara back to her father's hotel room, where she stayed until the following morning. At 4.49 a.m., there was a cell phone call to her boyfriend from her father's phone. Now, who was on that call and the nature of the conversation to this day remain unknown. Later that morning, Sunday, February 8, 2004, again one day before she disappeared, Fred, her father, rented a car and drove Mara back to the university and left to go back to Connecticut. Preparations and Departure On Monday, February 9th, the day before she disappeared, Mara searched MapQuest to get directions to the Berkshires and to Burlington, Vermont. 
If you're not familiar with MapQuest, it was a precursor to Google Maps way back in the very, very early days of the internet. Mara emailed her boyfriend, Army Lieutenant William Rausch, that day at approximately 1 p.m., saying, quote, I love you more, stud. I got your messages, but honestly, I don't feel like talking to much of anyone. I promise to call today, though. Love you, Mara. End quote. She also called about renting a condo at the same Bartlett, New Hampshire condo that her family had used many times in the past. Phone records show that that call lasted three minutes. However, she did not end up renting that condo. She then called a fellow nursing student, yet the nature of that conversation is also unknown. At 1.24 p.m., the day she disappeared, she emailed her nursing professors at UMass Amherst and her work supervisor at a local art gallery on February 9th, saying that she was taking a week off from her classes due to a death in the family and that she would contact them when she returned. However, according to her family, there had been no death. Mara then called a number which provided recorded information about booking hotels in Stowe, Vermont. This call lasted approximately five minutes. She then called her boyfriend again at 2.18 p.m. and left him a voicemail saying that they would talk later. This call lasted approximately one minute. Around 3.30 p.m., the day she disappeared, she left the campus in her black 1996 Saturn sedan. At 3.40 p.m., she withdrew $280 from her account. Footage from the ATM machine showed that she was alone. She then went to a local liquor store and purchased about $40 worth of alcohol, including Bailey's Irish Cream, Kahlua, vodka, and a box of Franzia wine. Security footage from the liquor store shows that she was alone. Murray then left Amherst between 4 and 5 p.m., presumably via Interstate 91 North. She called to check her voicemail at 4.37 p.m., and this was the last recorded use of her cell phone. To date, there is no indication that she had informed anyone of her decision or any evidence that she had even chosen one. Mara's Disappearance At 7.27 p.m., Faith Westman, a local woman in Woodsville, New Hampshire, reported a loud thump on a sharp corner of Route 112 adjacent to her home. When she looked out the window, she could see a car up against the snowbank along Route 112 pointing east. According to the 911 call, the woman reported seeing a man smoking a cigarette inside Amara's vehicle. However, she later stated that she had not seen a man nor a person smoking a cigarette, but rather had seen what appeared to be a red light glowing from inside the car, possibly from a cell phone. Around this time, another neighbor saw the car as well as someone walking around the vehicle. She also witnessed a school bus pull up alongside the car. The school bus driver, Butch Atwood, stopped at the scene. When he asked Mara if she needed help, he noted that she was not bleeding or visibly injured, but was cold and shivering. Mara declined his help, claiming to have already called roadside assistance. However, AAA has no record of this call. When the bus driver got home, he decided to go ahead and call police anyway and reported the accident at 7.43 p.m. Police arrived at the scene of the accident at 7.46 p.m. When they looked around, they noticed that Mara was nowhere to be found. The car had impacted a tree on the driver's side of the vehicle, severely damaging the left headlight and pushing the car's radiator into the fan, rendering it inoperable. The car's windshield was cracked on the driver's side and both airbags had deployed. The vehicle was locked. Inside and outside the car, police discovered red stains that looked to be red wine. Inside the car, the officer found an empty beer bottle and the damaged box of Franzia wine that she had purchased before she left Amherst. Police also found clothing, toiletries, 
college textbooks, and birth control pills. Police traced the vehicle to Mara, and not finding any evidence of foul play, initially treated her as a missing person, believing that she may have disappeared voluntarily. Mara's debit card, credit cards, and cell phone were all missing, and to this day have not been located or used since the time of her disappearance. When her dorm room was later searched, campus police discovered that most of her belongings were packed in boxes. Now, it is not clear whether Mara packed them the day that she left or disappeared, but police later asserted that she had packed sometime between Sunday evening and Monday morning. On top of the boxes was a printed email to Mara's boyfriend indicating trouble in their relationship. Initial Investigation At 12.36 the following day, February 10th, a Be on the Lookout report for Mara was issued. She was reported as wearing a dark coat, jeans, and a black backpack. Mara's father received a voicemail from police at 3.20 p.m. stating that Mara's car had been found abandoned. At 5 p.m., Mara's older sister called her father to tell him of the situation since he was working out of town and didn't receive the initial call from investigators. Fred Murray arrived in Haverhill before dawn on February 11th. He, the New Hampshire Department of Fish and Game, and other volunteers began searching for Mara at 8 a.m. that day. A police dog tracked the scent from one of Mara's gloves 100 yards east from where the vehicle had been discovered, but lost the scent. Recall that the vehicle was pointed in the eastbound direction, so it is safe to assume that Mara had continued walking in the direction she was initially traveling in her car, but had perhaps been picked up along the way. Mara's boyfriend and his parents arrived at 5 p.m. that day. He was questioned alone and then was joined by his parents. At 7 p.m., the police said they believed that she had come to the area to either run away or to commit suicide, but her family thought that this was probably very unlikely. During the flight to Haverhill, Mara's boyfriend received a voicemail that he believed to be the sound of Mara sobbing. The call was later traced to a calling card issued by the American Red Cross. Various searches on foot and by helicopter, as well as media appearances by Mara's family, continued for many years to no avail. Private investigator John Healy said, quote, Whatever happened, happened in a very short time. It was the wrong person, the wrong time. It's a weird set of circumstances where everything comes together. End quote. Mara's father Fred believes that she was abducted after her car crashed. He said, quote, Somebody grabbed her. End quote. Healy believes there is zero chance that Mara is alive. He thinks she was abducted and murdered. He's confident that one day this case will be solved. Fred Murray, Mara's father, replaces the blue bow on a tree next to the sharp turn on Route 112 where Mara's car was found. Fred believes that Mara would have contacted the family if she were alive. Until this mystery is solved, he says he will keep putting up the blue bow in Mara's memory at the site where she was last seen and hope for a break. Fred Murray continues to be critical of the New Hampshire State Police, claiming that if they had acted quicker, they could have caught up to her as she couldn't have been more than 200 yards or so ahead of them given the weather and the fact that she was started out on foot. He has also fought continuously with the court system and the governor of the state of New Hampshire to get records pertaining to Mara's case released to him, but they refuse, stating the possibility of evidence tampering or witness intimidation. They claim that it would also constitute an invasion of Mara's privacy if this information were to be made public. In April of 2019, the FBI, New Hampshire State Police, and the New Hampshire Attorney General's Office searched the basement of a home in northern New Hampshire located not far from where Mara crashed her car. Having received a tip about the basement of that house not long after Mara went missing, 
Fred believed that he had finally discovered a major break in the case in February of 2019. Neighbors told him they believed someone had buried a body there right around the time Mara disappeared. The owners of the house at the time Mara went missing never answered the door when Fred tried contacting them for permission to search. This went on several times in the 14 years between Mara's disappearance and this most recent break in the case. New owners bought the house and they finally allowed him access. Cadaver dogs and ground-penetrating radar equipment all pinged the exact location Fred had been tipped about. The dogs went, quote, bonkers. No evidence was found in connection to the case. All that was found was some small pieces of pottery. Now, there's been a very, very creepy video that was uploaded to YouTube on the anniversary of Mara's disappearance of a man laughing hysterically into the camera. The username of this individual was 112Dirtbag. Many people believe that this video is actually connected to Mara's disappearance and may even be of her abductor. This takes on special relevance when you note that Fred had routinely said that his daughter was probably kidnapped by, quote, some dirtbag on Route 112. Now I'm going to go ahead and play the audio of this video for you. It is very, very creepy, very, very unsettling. So uh, just if you've never seen the video before, please note that this is not someone who was well. Um, he laughs hysterically into the camera, and at the very end, he stops abruptly and then winks, and then the words happy anniversary come up on the screen. Mara's father said, quote, You might get lucky and somebody will get mad at somebody else and use what they know about my daughter's case to hang over somebody's head. Or someone might get loaded at a bar room and let something slip. I'm just hoping to get lucky. End quote. As it sounds now, Mara Murray is still listed as a missing person. Her father and sister continue to advocate for the investigation to continue, and many sources of media coverage, including this podcast episode, have made the rounds to no avail. Her body has never been found, and no new clues or leads have come forward or manifest. So that is the case of Mara Murray and what we know up to this point, which is, I gotta be honest with you, not a whole lot. Um, this is a pretty short episode, as you can tell. Uh, we kind of hit the high points and moved on. There's been a lot, a lot of media coverage on this um very mysterious death. No one really knows exactly where she went, why she was going there. She didn't really have any real set destination. She didn't tell anyone where she was going. She didn't tell her boyfriend where she was going. She didn't tell her family. 
Um, she just kind of up and decided to just go. Whether she disappeared voluntarily, whether she was abducted, killed, no sign of her has been found to this day. So that is that is that is kind of where we are at this point. Uh, Fred Murray, Mara's father, is continuing to fight like hell. Her um, her sister is continuing to fight like hell. They want they want some answers, and uh, somebody out there knows something. What happened to her? Where is she? Where did she go? Um, why the police are refusing to release all of their evidence to the father so that he can, you know, do what he can, or maybe even put some closure behind that. Maybe he could, you know, hire someone, hire another private investigator to have this looked at and to, you know, get some kind of maybe second opinion. Uh, there's just a lot of things that are, that are not right with this case, you know, even from Mara's strange behavior all the way to the, the, you know, what, what the police are doing and, and, or actually what they're not doing. So uh, there are several, you know, podcasts, several YouTube episodes that have been uh, dedicated to this case. So this is not something that is, that is very new. This happened in 2004 and there has been no hide nor hair of Mara since no sign whatsoever. So uh, most people who have any kind of access to the case, most people who um, know anything about this case, including her father, including the private investigator that he hired to look into this, uh, all believe that she has, she has, she has died. Um, now this, this whole video with the 112 dirtbag, whether it, whether it even has anything to do with Mora at all, uh, is, is up for speculation. Um, I urge you to go to YouTube. You, there are several people who have talked about this video in particular, and you know, the, it's, it's incredibly creepy. Uh, it definitely kind of rings true to me that this is, you know, this, this could be someone, you know, toying with or messing with the family, uh, serial killers and, and, uh, people who do this type of thing tend to, um, get additional enjoyment from, uh, inflicting additional suffering on the family members. Uh, so that, that is all that I have for you. Um, on Maura Murray. Uh, this has been the Investigation Guru. Take care of yourself. Bye-bye. This has been the Investigation Guru, hosted by Sean and Dana, a presentation of Red Door Investigations in the DFW Metroplex of Texas, specializing in infidelity, fraud, child custody, missing persons, and more. Check out our website, at reddoorinvestigations.com or on social media at Red Door PI. For more fascinating deep dives into real true crime, subscribe to the show today. Many elements of an investigation have to remain secret, but not this podcast. Our best advertising has always been word of mouth, so please share the feed with a friend today. And if you'd like to support the show, we offer some goodies on our Patreon at patreon.com slash invgurupod. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.